Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined in studio by my fellow co-host, Joseph Guisharo. What's going on? Joe Wolfon. What up? Uh, we're going to touch on some of the underrated teams. We honestly skip a lot of these teams, like the Pacers, like Wolfon's goddamn Pacers. We're finally going to talk about them along with other teams, especially in the Western Conference, that have really um, been very plucky so far and really deserve a lot of love. So we're going to show love to these underrated teams. But first, the three of us were all in attendance yesterday for what was the game of the season thus far, Raptors versus Warriors. It went to overtime. It was on national TV. It was set in Toronto. There was no Steph Curry. There was no Draymond Green. There was no DeMarcus Cousins. However, there was still Kevin Durant and there was still Kawhi Leonard. And oh my God, what a game. Raptors ended up outlasting the Warriors in overtime by a score of 131 to 128. But um, just an exceedingly fun game. And I think we can start here. I mean, would we all agree that this would be the most fun finals matchup? Yeah, I think it would be the best finals matchup because... It'd be the most fun because it would be the best and be the best because these are clearly the two best teams in the league. Like, we know the gear that the Warriors can get to, especially when healthy. And, you know, it's a quarter season in. I know there's still a lot of basketball left to be played, but, like, we've watched pretty much every team at some point this season. I just don't think any non-Warriors team can touch the Raptors when they're at full throttle. I really think the Raptors are at that point now where they are... um, I don't know if you want to maybe compare them to Houston of last year, but where they are the clear-cut best of the rest, and it's not really close to me. I think maybe you're sleeping on the Bucks a little bit. I still think that team has been really, really good, and they obliterated the Warriors in a game that Steph Curry did play. So I think we got to give them a little bit of love, and I, I still think that would be a super fun matchup. And I think I'm still you know, optimistic that the Celtics are going to find another gear at some point this season. I don't know if they will ever uh, approach the level that the Raptors uh, have shown they're capable of playing at, but uh, just given their positional versatility uh, and the amount of playmaking that they have across all positions, I think that could still be a really interesting and fun matchup. But I I wouldn't complain about seeing these two teams meet in the finals because, uh, as you mentioned, Will, this was one of the more fun uh, and just purely enjoyable games of the season. But um, I think... I, I kind of came away feeling like if that is the matchup, then I don't know how much of a chance the Raptors are going to stand on it. Like, honestly, yeah. The Warriors are terrifying right now. Um, obviously, they're shorthanded, but it doesn't really matter when you've got KD doing what he's been doing recently. Um, over his last four games, right? Against Portland, the Warriors won by 28 points. KD has 32 points on 13 of 21 shooting in that game. Nine rebounds, seven assists. That's probably the worst of the four. Then it goes to 44 points against the Kings on 26 shots. And then 49 against Orlando, which, you know, whatever. It's Orlando, but still, all three of those wins. And then last night, 51 points, including some of the most ridiculous shot making you've ever seen. I mean, uh, just off the top of my head, he pulls up from the logo. And hits it right before the, the end of the third Leaves quarter. Leaves Drake aghast. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, Drake was doing the Spike Lee thing very hard uh, <laughs> on the sidelines. And honestly, it was not looking good for the Raptors because KD had also hit those two ridiculous threes. One over Steph, or one over um, Kyle Lowry and also another one right in the corner. Fall away uh, to tie the game and send it to OT over Kawhi Leonard who was right there in his face. KD is terrifying, and when he plays at this level, he's like legitimately the best player in the league. He just doesn't do it all the time, but when he gets into these zones, nothing can stop him. I mean, like the Raptors have great defenders, and I mean Kawhi Leonard first and foremost, but even guys like Danny Green, OJ Anobi, Pascal Siakam, those guys are all very, very good defenders um, that you would think would theoretically match up well with KD. But that's the thing: KD has a gear that no other superstar basically can get to in terms of scoring. 
Yeah, and and when I say the Raptors to me have established themselves as like the clear cut best of the rest, they the Warriors are still establish themselves as like no one's touching them in the finals. Like the the Raptors can maybe give them a competitive five game series. Like you just look at mm-hmm. what happened last night, and that's with KD going off, which he's fully capable of doing, and we've seen him like beat the Cavs in the finals the last couple of years with crazy shot making. Um, like, I tweeted it last night, but to me, there's only three players in the world that I'm, like, 100% convinced are better than Kawhi. And that's obviously LeBron, Steph, and KD. So, there are only three of them, but the Warriors have two of them. Yeah. And then they complement them with Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and, oh, by the way, DeMarcus Cousins at some point. Like, they they don't have depth, but yeah. they have so much superstar talent, like, so much legitimate, game-changing, mm-hmm. transcendent superstar talent that it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like, let's go through this matchup position by position, right? Assuming that the Warriors are at full health. At point guard, Steph is way better than Lowry. Not close. Klay Thompson is way better than Danny Green. Not close. Durant is better than Kawhi. I don't know if you'd say way better, but he's close. better close, than Kawhi. Close, but better. Not, not yeah. close. Um, Draymond is better than Siakam for now. I mean, uh, that one's probably that, close. That one might that, be. That, that one's on yeah. the KD Kawhi level. And and Boogie, you know, depending on what state he comes back in, is probably better than either of the Raptors centers. So. It's just unfair. And and, and, you, <laughs> and the Raptors bench has been trash all yeah, year. Like, so. The bench is not play a lot in the finals? Yeah. Or? I mean, you're watching that game last night. And it's like the, the Raptors basically at the end of that game finally just started trapping Durant and forcing the ball out of his hands. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what if it's Steph Curry coming up to set those screens for Durant, right? Or, or even if it's Draymond, you know? And, like, you actually, like, the Warriors in overtime, basically, anytime Durant gave up the ball were a complete disaster. Like, they had two traveling violations. Yeah, Iguodala was... Um, and, and and Looney made one play in like the four on three where he drove and he dished it to Jarebko for a dunk, but he probably should have been called for an offensive foul on that play because he ran right into Siakam, who was um, I think had his feet planted outside of the restricted area. But uh, on the whole, I, I just like I couldn't get it out of my head. Like, man, they are doing this without really any kind of complimentary talent. And Clay Thompson down the stretch had a lot of clean looks that he just missed. Um, that team's ridiculous, man. Yeah, right? and uh, I think the Raptors could have been better. But they also offensively, like, they shot 52% from the field, 39% from three. Um, like, they, they got went off, 50, they, 40, 90 as a team. Yeah, they made hay in transition. You know, like, they were turning the Warriors over and running. And, again, it, like, it still came down to overtime because they just didn't have an answer for the Warriors' top-end talent. And no team does. Yeah. You, you asked, you know, what would have been the case if it was Steph coming up and setting those screens. The answer is that the Raptors would have uh, been honored <laughs> and would gladly take their Eastern Conference Championship banner yeah, and hang say. it the next year, and that would be that, and the finals would be over. Because as we know, the ultimate show of respect from the Warriors is busting out the KD-Steph pick-and-roll. It's like the, okay, all right, we take you guys seriously. We'll like go to this and just annihilate you with it. Yeah, winner gets Drake in that series as well. Um, let's actually show a little bit of love to the Raptors, though, because I think... They did show a level of toughness in terms of um, in their execution down the fourth was not necessarily the greatest. I mean, uh, to start the fourth quarter, their bench was really leaky and it really allowed the Warriors to come back. And of course, you know, KD hits those shots, but those are very tough shots that KD will hit. And defenses, you can only do so much unless you're going to block a shot. You know, there's nothing else you can do. He just made some great shots. You tip your hat to him. But, you know, Kawhi Leonard coming into the fourth quarter there. Had some cl- uh, very clutch jumpers. He ends up sealing the game with a, a steal on Durant at one point as well. Um, you know, also ditched the Danny Green. Danny Green hit two very important threes, both in f- uh, the fourth quarter and also in overtime to really stabilize things. And even Kyle Lowry, who I thought for most of the game, I kept thinking to myself, 
Kyle has to score more. Kyle has to score more because he was sitting on less than like ten points for like most of the game, and he's doing everything else pretty well. But you just need your stars to score, and like he wasn't doing that. But then he hits a three in the corner. He looks at the Warriors bench, which I thought was hilarious. After after passing up a wide open three too, that he yeah. just like was clearly so rattled because he'd missed two yep. on the previous possession, and he gets a wide open look short clock and just passes it to Ibaka who fumbled the ball and Ibaka take, fumbled the ball <laughs> ends up taking a late clock heave uh a lot of the Raptors I thought looked a little bit shaky down yeah. the stretch and kind of shook and but I mean look they made enough plays I think generally right I think like in in seasons past the Raptors like especially in crunch time like a lot of players would lose their nerve that's why last year Fred Van Bleed had to play so many crunch time minutes because he was actually one of those guys who could be sure-handed but you can't play a six foot guard in Van Vliet alongside another six foot guard like Kyle Lowry and really get away with it, especially when there's KD and even Clay on the court right now. Um, but I, th- I thought, especially those Spurs guys, really came in and delivered a sort of a sense of calm. Right? And of course, Kawhi is always calm, but even Danny Green. I mean, I thought Danny Green was phenomenal in that, in that game. And I think the Raptors, and even Pascal Siakam, I mean, he had a lot of very crucial free throws in the end. I think. The Raptors basically need more games like this to basically solidify their medal. And I, the only issue I really see is that, like, um, as much as Kyle Lowry has been great all season, we've just seen a lot of these moments where in fourth quarter scenarios, when it gets really close, the game is really pivotal. Like, he either really rises to the occasion or he kind of, you know, steps back. And, like, if that's the case, that's okay. You just need to bring another star in, basically, to... Um, or not even bring another starting, but someone else has to step into that secondary scoring role because Kawhi's going to get his, but there needs to be someone else aside from Kawhi who's scoring. And I don't know if that can consistently be Kyle Lowry. Can, can it be, be past- Siakam? Siakam was great. He's got a true shooting percentage of 70 right now. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it's not like, oh, it's because... like No, he's starting to shoot threes, too. It's one thing if you're shooting 70% yeah. with like the DeAndre Jordan yeah. shot profile, but like... He hit his, first, his, he hit his first three threes of the game last night. Yeah. Um... I think he's at like 36, 37% for the season, like slightly above average. Yeah, it's wild. On the, a the decent volume, amount of attempts. The volume hasn't quite been there. Right. But, and he's also not really taking them unless he's wide open. Yeah, he's not like taking pull up threes either. Like yeah. it's, all, it's catching. I, I, yeah, I think he's got a long way I mean, to go. I mean, if he adds the pull up but. three, he's like KD, you know. <laughs> Um, but one thing I want to ask Will, like we, we both wrote about the Raptors' uh, defensive yep. scheme. Read about that at the score. <laughs> um, do you think they need to change up their scheme like if this if this is a finals matchup say mm-hmm. um because that sort of that drop back and rear view pursue pick and roll scheme didn't really work for them in this game and we've seen it be exploited by teams who are like really proficient in the mid-range uh so far this season and you suggested that they need to start switching more um i'm, I'm kind of surprised actually that they that they haven't been switching as much yeah. as they are capable of doing because this is a very versatile lineup, right? And you would expect, based on the personnel, when you have guys like Danny Green, Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, OG Ananobi, those are all like versatile defenders who are those prototypical 3 and D wings that can you know move around, switch, guard different, multiple players. And then even Ibaka can guard down a little bit. Like if you put him on a couple of switches, he's not that bad. He's obviously better closer to the rim, but he can hang on a couple of switches. And then Kyle Lowry... Especially if he's playing up against wings that like to post, Kyle is really good at doing that, and he's also a good help defender. So, like theoretically on paper, you would think of this lineup as someone that, some like a team that should switch. But like like you mentioned, I mean, they basically played more of a conservative scheme thus far, uh, with some few exceptions of throwing some zone looks and stuff like that out there. But um, I'm just surprised because if you look at the Warriors, like the only time they've really had trouble um, have been against the Cavs in 2016 where obviously they lost and also the Houston Rockets and then both of those series 
they went up against switching defenses and you know their offense wasn't as dominant as it usually is and i just think that if the Raptors are going to throw a scare into them, they got to switch a little bit more. And, you know, it's, you can't even just decide to switch on the spot. Like, if you want, really want to execute that switching thing, you got to do what Houston does and practice throughout the entire season. Mm-hmm. I think, crucially, that means basically no Valanchunas in, in a He was awful series. last night. JV was awful last night. And he's just he's a situational player. Yeah. yeah. But you can't you, you can't scheme, you know, you can't implement a switching scheme if he's going to be playing big minutes. I, I think no. like you might and, not even be able to do it with Ibaka. Like you might even need to look at Siakam at center at or something the five. Like that. Well, but if then, if the Warriors are running Draymond at the 5, then I think the Raptors have a a pretty decent counter with Siakam at center. I, I think, you know, that's about as good a small ball 5 as can match up with the Warriors in the yeah. league. Um rebounding, kind of, rebounding becomes a bit of a concern. I think it was a concern last night too. It's been a concern all season for the Raptors. But the yeah. Warriors are not an especially good rebounding team. I mean, That's true. Looney had like six offensive rebounds last night. But if if you're going Draymond at the five, I'm not too, too worried about the rebounding. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think for the amount of defensive talent that the Raptors have, I've been kind of underwhelmed by their defensive execution so far this season. Yeah. I mean, they have lots of great moments where they click in and they completely shut teams down. And then they have moments where they give up big runs. And... Um, yeah, I mean, something for the Raptors to, to consider. But I also think if you're the Raptors, if you're Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster who run the front office, like, are you aiming to beat the Warriors this year or are you aiming to win the East? Because they're two very different things. And if you're just winning to, aiming to win the East, and I think JV is someone that, you know, it becomes more important because, like, let's see you go up against Joel Embiid. It's not like JV is necessarily a lockdown defender. But he's a big body that can at least match and beat size. And if you let him go to get another player that was more versatile for against the Warriors, for example, then you might leave yourself vulnerable and you might, you know, undercut your quest to get to the finals in the first place. So you, I think the Raptors really need to decide, like, what is their priority for this season? Is it to get to the finals or is it to match up with Golden State? There's two different things. I also think that can be like a simplistic approach too, though. Like, I think, I think obviously they want to compete with the Warriors, like everyone yeah. does. But I think that's so much easier said than done. Like I don't think there's, especially mid-season, I don't think there's a deal out there the Raptors can make. Mm. At least I can't think of one that all of a sudden elevates them to like, oh, now they got a shot to beat arguably the most talented team ever put together. So I think the realistic approach is try to win the East and convince Kawhi to resign and then take your real stabs at like championship contention the next couple of years. I just, yeah, I don't see any way they can alter their ceiling right now i'm not even saying they can't like there is a crazy scenario where yeah they can beat the warriors injuries happen whatever but like that is a crazy scenario and i just don't see any way they can you know change their ceiling yeah and the other thing i'll say is that this is basically the whole point of having lineup versatility and yeah their goal i think should be to at least try and you know compete with the warriors give them a series but they got to get there first and they're going to need valanciunas i think to get there and they have the luxury of being able to play him and, and, and have him basically be super effective in certain matchups and then potentially just excise him from the rotation in a matchup against a team like Golden State. So I think it doesn't really matter. Like, I, I don't see them necessarily making a trade, like Cash said, that's going to put them over the top. And I think Valanciunas is perfectly fine in the role that he's been playing this season. It's just Yeah, he's been productive. In, in certain matchups, it becomes difficult to play him. And I think, you know, like we were saying, if... If the Raptors want to go to a switch-everything scheme, then Valanciunas can't really be a part of it. Yeah. It's also concerning, by, by the way, that JV has also looked pretty bad against Boston um, in their two matchups so far. But well, uh, he usually looks bad against Horford. 
But well, the, that's yeah, a concern. The, if you can't play against Boston, you can't play against Golden State. But, and but you the, they haven't even played like, him against doing? Horford, though. Like, in those games against Boston, they pretty yeah. much matched Ibaka and Horford's He's minutes. He's bad against Baines. I think I think for the most part, I mean, JV's had a good year yeah, for the role that he is now in. Yeah, I just think he's like Will. You're also you're you're especially down on JV, and you have been I'm for just, a while. I've watched so, Raptors games very closely. No, here's what I'd say. I'd say JV just, for the role you know. that he's been thrust into this year is having a solid season. Yeah, and I think like most, not most, but uh, like a lot of big men in the modern NBA, like yeah, it's a very situational yeah. player. Like you said it yourself. He's a situational player, and yeah. I think that's the. That's the window you have to look at him through now. Like you can't look at him as like this guy that was what you know a top whatever pick and is a potential franchise. Like he's not. We know that. So just look at it as like, can he fill his role as this situational player? And he usually can. Last night was kind of an anomaly in the sense that like he He couldn't couldn't even rebound rebound. because he is an elite rebounder. Yeah, right. That was weird. Um, There was that one possession where he got beat out for two offensive boards in a row by Looney. Um, Hey, Looney looked good. Yeah, Looney was good and and. Jonas, I just think he looked like he was running in mud. He was particularly sluggish in that game. Mm. And there were just countless times when the Warriors would put him in a high pick and roll. He would drop back too far. He would not have his hands up. Why does he not defend yeah. with his hands up? Yeah, I, and, I, I don't even mind dropping. Just keep your hands up, man. Yeah, just and, even give the pretense that you might interrupt the shot in some way, which he did not. And, yeah, the, the Warriors exploded, exploited that. Like, yeah. Durant was, was pulling up for mid-range, and they were, like, layups for him, honestly. I mean, that's like any guard. Any guard that can come around a screen and pull up, JV's not going to be able to guard that at all but yeah. um, look we've talked enough about the Raptors and Warriors all season this is a really fun game we're gonna see another iteration of this in Golden State with Steph Curry healthy in about two weeks that's gonna be really fun um, and we can talk more about it then but let's actually take some time to show love to the underrated teams okay so finally we have clear space in the podcast to talk about teams like the Pacers like the Clippers like the Nuggets like OKC and the Grizzlies who we've kind of shorthand um, just shortchanged in previous uh, podcasts uh, the, I think this, the way the best way to look at it is like we'll talk about why it works and then why it might not last and then sort of open the discussion there. I guess in this case, Wolfon is going to be the good cop and tell you why it works, and Cash will be the bad cop sure. and tell you why it doesn't work. So let's start with the Pacers. Wolfon, can, can I just start my bad cop rant by not even talking about the Pacers and just letting Joe know that since their seven and zero start, the Bucks are eight and six with a seventeenth ranked defense. Ooh, yeah. Getting- Bad cop. This is how you do it. <laughs> okay. As some people might have written earlier, before the slide happened, that uh, the Bucks have a bit of a weakness in their defense. They have a blind spot for sure. Yeah. Um, Brooke Lopez is, you know, surprisingly a weakness in the defense. Who knew? But they, <laughs> they're a terrifying team. And they, to me, yeah. they still have the most impressive win profile of any team in the league. For so. sure. They have the best point differential yeah. still. Yeah. Um, but Pacers. shifting gears uh, to the Pacers, who you know I am always thrilled to talk about. Um, this team just plays so hard and so smart. They really are able to overcome uh, a kind of talent deficit, at least comp- you know compared to the other top teams in the Eastern Conference. And the, the fact that they've managed to put together what has been a top five defense all season long is really, really impressive to me. And I want to give a shout out to Miles Turner, who has always kind of put up nice counting stats defensively, like blocked a lot of shots. Positionally, he's been so much better this season. Yeah. And um, I think he's been a huge part of why they've been able to have so much success at that end of the floor. He's gotten way better at basically playing like one on two and pick and roll. Um, And his timing as far as kind of like when to corral the ball handler and when to kind of switch back to cover the roll man has been excellent. And again, he's blocking a ton of shots, blocking almost three shots a game. And he's doing it, I think, without really gambling his way out of position. Um, 
he'll still give up a lot of offensive rebounds, I think. But apart from that, I think he's been great defensively. And Oladipo's been out for a few games, and they've actually, like, they've looked okay without him, which was not the case at all last year. I think they went 0-6 without him last year. And this year, like, they played a couple of games without him against Utah and just utterly shellacked the Mm. Jazz. Um, And, you know, I think they're just, like, a good... um, kind of test case for what a team can accomplish when they just play smart and defend with like intelligence, precision and grit. And like you'll watch them and they send double teams to the ball, like at the perfect times, um, their rotations and their closeouts are excellent. Um, and DeMontis Sabonis has Yo, been... he has been incredible. Unbelievable. I think uh, he is scoring, like, the most points per shooting possession of any player in the NBA and just making wonderful decisions on the roll, uh, whether that is going to the basket and finishing, which he's really good at, whether it is making the correct read and making a pass out to the three-point line. Um, he's just so quick and keeps their offense moving and is just like a screen-setting monster. Just runs around looking for somebody to screen... Uh, and sets like 12 screens a minute, honestly, until somebody pops open, whether it's him or whether it's somebody else. Like uh, He has been really, really impressive, I think. And I, I just love watching this team play. Like they're, yeah, on, they're, they're, they're a joy to watch, and I'm really excited for Oladipo to get back because I've, just, I've been impressive, uh, impressed with the way that they've been able to hold their heads above water while he's been out. Okay, so here's the thing. I, I don't disagree with anything you just said, and I don't disagree that the Pacers are a, like a really solid team I just think they're not good enough. Um, and I think it, we kind of saw it last year. Like, they do work their asses off. They do try harder than almost any other team. They have a, like, really exciting all-star at the top of the roster, but not quite like that, you know, I, I don't know what number you want to put on it, whether it's, like, the top 8, 10, 12 guys that, like, that can truly just, like, turn a series and, like, take a mm-hmm. series over. I think all the people's, like, just on the fringe of that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an issue when you get in the playoffs. We've seen it countless times with other teams. Um, they have a top four defense, but their offense is kind of underwhelming. They've held their heads again above water without him. But like, yeah, to me, it's not about them not being good or like this record and everything being a fraud. It's just that I don't think they're good enough to beat teams that have some of those other things I just mentioned. Like Boston hasn't looked good. At the end of the day, I'd still take Kyrie Irving over Oladipo in a playoff series and Boston probably has a better supporting cast. I'd take... You know, Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid over Oladipo, and the Sixers are built really well. The Raptors, we've already talked about. And, you know, now we're already down to what? They're the fourth best, maybe, playoff team, and we haven't even mentioned Milwaukee. So then it's like, they can be this good in everything you just said, and yet I still don't see a path for them to get through the first round. And that's why I'm going bad cop on them, because, and, and like, I did a piece this week of, like, uh, describing every team's first quarter season with an emoji, and for the Pacers, I did a sleeping emoji. Because, like, it's it's not that they're bad, it, it, they're good, it's they're, but they're consistency is almost boring like they don't rip off any crazy win streaks they haven't won more than three i thought it was because everybody's been sleeping on them no unfortunately (laughs) not that was last year and in a way people are sleeping on them again but it's because of that it's because of this like boring consistency right like they don't win more than three in a row they don't lose more than two in a row uh their defense they're a solid like try hard defensive team that can't really score that efficiently and their offense is like middle of the pack and pace Mm -hmm. middle of the pack efficient you know what i mean like there's just there's nothing there that, like, captures. Right. I wonder if they have a trade to make. And what I was just saying, as good as Turner has been defensively, mm-hmm. Sabonis has almost turned him into, like, a dispensable trade chip. And I think a really good trade chip at that, yeah. considering now he's locked up for four years on a pretty reasonable deal. 
is super young, and I think you know if if a team like Washington say who you know is maybe thinking about trading Ooh. a Brad Beal. Or Charlotte, should they ever you know, decide that it's time to move on from Kemba Walker because they don't think they're going to retain, retain him this offseason? Like, the city of Charlotte will riot if they ever trade Kemba. Those 16 but I people think, that show up to Hornets games. I think Turner is good enough and young enough to be the kind of headliner in a package that would come back the other way in a, in a, uh, a deal for a player like that. And that could make them pretty exciting and elevate their ceiling, I think. Uh, I would just... Yeah, I would love to see Oladipo with a, a nice complimentary backcourt mate because um, he's awesome at both ends of the floor, and I just think they need uh, some secondary scoring and secondary playmaking because, unfortunately, Tyreek Evans hasn't really given it to them so far this season. Shooting but. 37% from the field. Yeah, he's been, he's been kind of yeah, rough. It's been uh, tough for Tyreek. Um, and he's kind of doing like a discount James Harden type of game where he's holding the ball a lot, not moving it well. Like he's doing a homeless James Harden. He, kind of he thing. looks like uh, yeah, he looks like a homeless James Harden right now. Um, okay, what about the Clippers? Um, why do the Clippers work? And uh, why are the Clippers bad? We sticking with the good cop, bad cop? Yeah, I'll be bad cop. Okay, okay. Um, okay, well I'll say the Clippers are deep, very um, deep. They don't have a. Superstar, although you could argue Tobias Harris is creeping toward that territory with as well as he has played this season. But obviously their big weakness is the lack of elite talent. But their depth of above-average talent is up there among the best mm-hmm. in the NBA. And Harris, again, has been shooting the lights out. He's been awesome. Yeah. Um, Great Mont- piece by Kurt Goldberry yeah. on that uh, yeah. on, on uh, Tobias's efficiency. Mm-hmm. I, I personally think Tobias is... You know, having one of the most legendary contract years possible, but but I mean, how still, can you how can you say that? It's not like you can effort your way into more like made jump shots. You know what I yeah. mean? He's, he's just, I think he's I mean, just like, become a really really good better. shooter. You can sort of, I mean, you could look at it as well, either like he's actually arrived at this level, or he's just having a really hot start and really motivated coming into the season, really prepared. I yeah. think there's other things you can do to prepare yourself and get I'm, a good I'm convinced. Here. Like, I don't think he's going to shoot this well for the entire season, but I'm convinced that he has arrived at this level because mm. he's still, a, like, a pretty young player. He's, what, 26, 27? Yeah, he's surprisingly young. Um, and he's been incrementally improving, I think, every That's season. True. He's one of these guys who just, like, subtly gets a little bit better every year. Mm-hmm. Um, Montrez Harrell has been awesome. Like, yeah, he's uh, like, he's just incredible. a battering ram who... and. and what a contract. Like, absolutely one of the best bargains. Maybe the best bargain of the summer. Yeah, um, $12 million for two years, and yeah. he completely replaced DeAndre Jordan, who has not been great. And he's just like... he puts DeAndre so, got 23. Yeah, I think that, <laughs> I think they made the right decision there. Yeah. He puts so much pressure on the rim um, and gets to the free throw line, scores inside, uh, has been a solid rebounder, is, you know, a passable defender. He's not... I don't know if he's a guy you can play at center for big minutes just because he's undersized. But coming off the bench is just like an energizer. He's been unbelievable. He's like a you know a turbocharged version of prime Kenneth Fareed, basically. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Kenneth Fareed, by the way, I've really looked at this Clippers team and I've just really thought of them as like the Denver team that won 57 games um, in 2013. I think they had one of the best home records in the league that year. They were really deep. They didn't have a star. Their best player was probably like Andre Iguodala. Danilo Gallinari was on both of these teams, by the way. Yeah. Lawson was really good. Lawson was really good. Um and, oh, Gallo, uh, yeah. Gallo's Gallo literally also. on both these teams. Exactly. Gallo's been really good. He's been yeah. lights out from the 3 Cash, I'm surprised you didn't want to play good cop for this one. No, I'm saving that for the Gallo podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. Our 45-minute Gallo um, chat. But he's man, been real good, man. Yeah. And he's like, knock on wood, he's been healthy. 
He's played it. I think he's played it every game so far. He's up to like 30 minutes a game, and he's just... He's going to take some time off. It's okay. It is what it is, you know? Yo, Gallo, Gallo's great, man. He's just like... He's a defensive sieve, but he is <laughs> so incredibly efficient offensively. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't really make sense because other guys that usually can, like, bait... Like, Lou Williams, he's got, like, quick hands, and he's, like, herky-jerky, yeah. and he's a smaller guy. And most guys are like that. Gallo, like, is kind of, like, doughy. And yeah. he doesn't he doesn't seem all that athletic in the way he, he moves looks on off the court. Balance all he the looks time. like he's moving in slow motion. He always yeah. looks off balance, and yet it works. Like yeah. guys bite on his pump fake. Guys don't know how to defend him. Right. And sometimes it's because he shoots from odd angles. Yeah, it's like yeah, the man. Bellinelli thing. Maybe it's like an Italian school of basketball. They just teach you to like really contort and draw contact. Which uh, is an obvious football joke <laughs> to be made there, but um, still, like it's. I think effective. I think sometimes those guys are particularly effective at baiting, like getting guys off their feet and baiting fouls too, because they're a little bit herky jerky, because they're off rhythm, because they play slowly. Like Kyle Anderson comes to mind. I think it's like guys just can't really adapt to the speed at which yeah. they play. Um, and Gallo's always been really like a, a pump fake artist and a guy who's been really good at getting to the free throw line. So. I just I like their depth. Uh, I like how hard they play, and um, again, another team like the Pacers. I think that's just a really fun watch. Um, so, Cash, tell me why it's not going to last. Um, it's literally what I said about the Pacers. You know, <laughs> a little different because the Clippers are better offensively and their defense is a little more average, and, and the Pacers flip the script. But it's very similar. I think the the Clippers are deeper than the Pacers, much deeper. I mean, they don't have a bad player in their rotation. Like, they they roll out, like, 11 or 12 good players, and Tobias Harris is, like, very good borderline all-star caliber player. But again, he's not good enough to go toe-to-toe with the type of stars he'd have to go to toe-to-toe with in a Western Conference playoff series. Um, they don't have that kind of talent on the team. They're hoping to get it in free agency next summer. And it just, like, kind of comes back to the same thing. You can... We'll mention that Nuggets team that won whatever it was, 57. 57 games and lost in the first round to Steph Curry's Golden State Warriors, and it was like Steph's coming out party. These teams that like are kind of um, the sum of their collective talent but don't have a star that just like rack up regular season wins because they try really hard, We the script is very predictable in the playoffs. They yeah. fall short, and maybe like the Pacers last year, they have a surprisingly like competitive series against a better team, but I, they're not going to beat a team in, in a best of seven once the playoffs roll around. By the way, Gallo, <laughs> back to good cop. Gallo, 19 points a game on an effective field goal percentage of like 54, shooting 47% from three. Yeah. yeah and 94% did. from the free throw line. And he gets the free throw on a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the Clippers are – it's a very interesting team because everyone is taking very efficient shots. Everyone knows exactly their role. Doc Rivers has been great. I will talk about Doc Rivers a little bit later, but – Clippers right now lead the Western Conference with a record of 15 and 6. The team they're ahead of is the Denver Nuggets, who have a record of 14 and 7. Um, they've been impressive. Their defense has really held up basically through the quarter pull of the season. Um, you know, what's working for them? Um, their their defense? Like, yeah. Who would have thought that, uh, you know, even a quarter of the way through the season, that their defense would be ahead of where their offense is at? We uh, talked about this in like. Third in like the after NBA. the first week of the season, we're like, well, we'll look at the Nuggets' defense later. It's still good. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, I think Paul Millsap deserves a lot of credit for that. He's been great. But I really want to uh, shine a light on their bench, which mm-hmm. has been yeah. awesome this season. Like Monty, Surprisingly. Monty Morris has been, uh, sure. like I think, a wonderful addition. And Mason Plumlee has been great. Um, yep. he, he's been really solid defensively. And 
they can kind of you know he can kind of do a poor man's Jokic thing where they can run their offense through him a little bit mm-hmm. from the elbow. He's a good passer, um, and you know Wancho's been good. Like their very ben- good. Their, their bench unit's been really nice, and I think that's been a nice compliment to their starters, which they haven't really had in the past. And obviously the starters have been good as well. Jokic has been great, even though I still think uh, he can get a little bit too passive at times. Um, He's done a really nice job of orchestrating that offense. And I love Gary Harris. Uh, His two-way ability has, I mean, he's been a big part of why their defense has held up as well. So uh, again, another team that I think just has really nice depth and uh, a lot of solid pieces that fit together really well. This bad cop thing is getting tiring, but uh, I'm just digging up reasons to hate teams. I feel like a talking head on TV. Uh, no, again, I like the Nuggets. I think out of the three teams we mentioned, I think if we're talking about like their, their top gear, Jokic might be the best from those three teams. Um, but again, he is still too passive hunting his own offense. And one thing that is kind of concerning about Jokic, I, I mean, depending on how much you put stock in his three-point shooting, but like last year he flirted with 40% three-point shooting. And that was a big part of his like kind of reaching a next level. I'm starting to wonder if last year was the blip because his first two seasons he shot like 33% from three. And this year he's at 32.5% from three. So... When three seasons are one way and only one is the other way, you start to wonder if maybe like last year was the blip and he's more of like a 32 to 35% shooter and not a 40% three-point mm-hmm. shooter. I mean, I, I'm not saying that's going to be the difference in whether this team's like legit or not. I'm just saying it's something to monitor because that is, you know, that could be the difference in the yeah. like stratosphere of superstar he gets to. I but think I, he's probably just a little bit more tired in general. Like when I watch, I mean, look, when you watch Jokic, he looks tired all the time. Like from like after two minutes, he looks tired. But like, um, you know, like I think he's playing way harder on defense this year than ever before. He's come up higher. So it's just a general buy-in with the Nuggets that has been really solid. Like all the young players are really committing to playing defense, which is great. And Jokic is sort of core among that. But you know, if you play, you spend more energy on defense, you're gonna have less legs to shoot threes. Like I think that's probably where it's at right now. Yeah, but I also think that's maybe a positive indicator for them: the fact that as a team they haven't really shot the three that well. Yeah, and that's part well, of the they reason- haven't had Will Barton either. They haven't had Will Barton, so they've been a little bit thin thin on the wing. And it's like Jamal Murray's shooting 31% from three. Gary Harris shooting 32% from three. Yeah, those uh, guys should both be around 40. Jokic at 32%. Like, Trey Lyles at 26%. These are guys who I think are really capable shooters who just haven't really been hitting at a high rate this season. I expect that to turn around. So, yeah. you know, their offense, as it is, ranks seventh in the league. And I would expect that to start yeah. to come up. And maybe their defense will regress a bit. But I think they're very capable uh, of remaining in the top 10 on both sides of the ball, which is, you know, the sign of an elite team. I think all three of us like this Nuggets team, what it sounds like. I think they could probably get home court. I think so, too. Yeah, for sure. Like, they, to me, are a solid 50-win team, as long as they stay healthy. Like, from what I've seen so far, uh, they have, you know, all the offensive and defensive talent to, uh, to get home court. A bad cop, however, would say... Oh, Jokic is tired? What's going to happen come April? Mm. He's tired because he's playing a little defense? Grow up. <laughs> he got pretty tired in game 82 of the season. Or was it game 82 or 83? Did they 80, get extra? No, no, no. It was, 80, it was, it was 82, yeah. and he was, yeah. he was great in that game. He just he faded down the He got real stretch. tired in the end, man. He got real tired. All right, um, let's talk then about the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have really rebounded uh, from a bit of uh, a poor start. Obviously, that's related to Westbrook uh, being out of the lineup. But they're 13-7. and seven. They're only a game and a half back of the Clippers for tops in the West. They're 7-3 and three over the last 10 games. The Thunder's defense has been really carrying them this year. Joey, say good things about the Thunder. Um, their defense is so fun. 
and so good. Like they're Paul, crazy athletic. This is a massive pa- team. Pa- Paul George, like. I- I just can't say it enough. He's been so good at, uh, on that side of the ball this year. Like, uh, I watched um, – they played the, the Warriors, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and he did a number on Durant in that mm-hmm. game. Um, Jeremy Grant, like, gives him so much positional flexibility yep. as well. Like, he can he's really – He's actually broken up a little bit. He's, he's, he's playing really well this he's year. He's shooting 36% from three, which has been huge for him yeah. and his ability to stay on the floor because, yeah, defensively, he can just – he can guard all five positions. He can switch. He's disruptive. You know, he can protect the rim. Uh, and he can come out to the perimeter. He can basically do it all. Uh, and obviously, Steven Adams, uh, just with his size and his you know relative mobility to how big he is. He's very nimble. He, yeah, he's, he's, massive, he's light on his feet for a guy as big as he is. And I think there are still some holes in his game defensively. Like, uh, stretch bigs can kind of burn him, I think. Yeah. Um, and also quick point guards. Like, if he gets switched onto them, he doesn't have much of a hope. But... Uh, playing close to the basket, there are not many guys who are as good as he is no. at basically taking space away, and uh, that's what's driven their success so far. And uh, you know they've done it without Westbrook for a lot of the time. He's missed time, and they've kind of kept on humming just because their defense has been so solid. And I'll also say I think the Schroeder addition has been really helpful. Yeah, because he's the not biggest... Raymond Felton. That's... No, I mean, and the... he's not uh, Samaj Kristen. Yeah. It's a big upgrade. It is. It is. And and I think so much of the reason that in the past they have completely collapsed with Westbrook off of the floor is that they haven't had any other viable playmakers behind him. And I think Schroeder gives them at least a guy. I I know he's not particularly efficient and he can be a bit of a ball hog, but the fact that he can basically just like continue to keep their offense moving at an acceptable level when Westbrook sips is... Uh, super helpful for the Thunder. And they've also been playing those two guys together, I think, to pretty solid results so far. So um, that's been a nice addition. And look, I think the defense is legit. Like, they are doing this without Robertson, who's going to come back at some point. And I I expect them, maybe they won't finish as number one in the league, but I fully expect them to finish as a top three unit because they have that much talent on that on the floor. The the Thunder are kind of, they've got this hilarious, like, back and forth where... If you consider the fact that we're in a season with historic efficiency, it's like the greatest scoring season of all time, but then the Thunder's defense is the best defense the NBA has seen in three years. If you go by defensive rating, offensively, they're posting the worst three-point shooting mark the NBA has seen in six years. As a team, they're shooting 30.7%. No one's shot that bad since the 2012-13 Timberwolves shot 30.5%. So it's just kind of funny that, like, the league is scoring at will, and yet the Thunder are posting this like crazy high benchmark for defense, and on the other end just can't shoot. They're like the anti-everything right now. Well, I, I believe in Paul George. Don't so much believe in Westbrook's like style offensively come playoff time, but I believe in him generally. Westbrook, and I do believe in that defense. 19%. Yeah, that's crazy. Deep. 19 that's crazy. on that's five going to come off. Um, uh. I, I believe in that defense, and I believe in Steven Adams, I, and I've said for so long that like, the reason I was excited to watch this team sans mellow is because I believe so much in like the fit of a Westbrook George Adams big three. Um, but you can't you can't go deep in 2019 in the NBA, which is what it's going to be. Time the playoffs roll around if you can't shoot, and this team can't shoot. So like they have enough talent to win around, sure. But if we're talking about like contenders, and this is a team I put in the West Finals, knowing full well they couldn't shoot, but even I didn't think it would be this bad. This is atrocious. Yeah. They're not winning more than a round shooting no. this poorly. They need to make a trade. And I think Badly. specifically they need a stretch four. 
because they they're really thin at the four. Oh, uh, Pat Patterson has not been it, unfortunately. Let me just give a quick Patrick Patterson stat right now, okay? <laughs> Over the last six games, Patrick Patterson is zero for twenty. He hasn't wow. he ha- and scoreless like he hasn't gone to the free is throw it line either. Playoff time already? Yeah, I know. He hasn't scored. He, he, like he hasn't gone to the free. Th- so he's literally gone scoreless for two weeks. I feel bad watching him. And these are wide open. We know Pat. Pat only shoots wide open threes and maybe the occasional layup. All bricks so far, and he does not get the free. Th- it, it's just sad watching him. Patrick Patterson has had more scoreless games in his one and a quarter years with the Thunder than he's had double digit games. That's tough. That's not like oh he's had more. Under ten, then over ten. No, he's had more zeros yeah. than tens. Jesus. Yeah. No, um, they need they need a four. I mean, like realistically, they need the Patrick Patterson that existed probably in like 2016. Yeah. But that Pat is just gone, and like they thought they were getting that with Patrick Patterson, they're not getting that anymore. They have a couple of salaries like that. Like they honestly keep trying to sign like these role players that are going to push them over the top, but they just keep missing with those you know what i mean like and they just never ever prioritize a good shooter like why is your best shooter who is, i mean i guess it's paul george who's pretty good but then like after that it's like jeremy jeremy grant is one of their best shooters this year alex abrinas who only plays one end of the floor and he's not he doesn't even play that end of the floor very well and like, he's not just, even been shooting well this season yeah he's why weren't they in the mix from three yeah why weren't they in the mix for kyle korver yeah, I don't know. They that should be. I, they should be trying to get like Wayne Ellington. Yeah, you know any guys like this. But I, I, I do think that they made a good pick with Diallo, who was playing really, really well before okay, he got yeah. injured. And fortunately, that injury was not as serious as it looked like it was. Yeah. Um, I really like his game. And again, not a shooter, but one who I think maybe can develop a passable outside jumper. And obviously, the kind of player that they really like: multi-positional defender, super athletic, great in the open floor. Uh, so I do think he's a good fit there, but I agree. I mean, they, they need to start targeting some guys who can offer them a little bit of floor spacing. So yeah, um, I would look for them to be act- active on the trade market and in the buyout market. Um, you know, looking for a guy, like whether it's a wing like Ellington or whether um, it's a stretch for like an Ilyasova type. Or I'm trying to think of guys like that who might be available. Like, I don't know, Marvin Williams maybe. Um, somebody in that mode. I mean, he would help this group. I'm not, Marvin Williams is not even a great player anymore. No, but not even close. But he's still a guy help. who I think can can give you pretty solid uh, defense in, in the pick and roll, and can also stretch the floor. So um, it, it would be nice for them to have somebody who can reliably pick and pop. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then let's wrap up by talking about the Grizzlies. Um, the Grizzlies are really solid, man. They're, they're really solid. They're they're a really nice team. Obviously, their defense has been great because Gasol and Conley are back and healthy, and even offensively, they've been okay. Um, they don't play fast. They make you play slow, and I think that it's like a change-up team. You, you every, every team in the NBA nowadays is a fastball, and then you get to the Grizzlies, and it's a change-up, and then you swing right through it. And they even have Kyle Anderson, who's like the epitome of that. Um, Wolfon, what's been – I mean, you love this team. We talk about this team all the time. But, uh, you know, what's 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 been working with the Grizzlies? Yeah, well, I was high on them in the preseason. Like, my bold prediction was that they were going to finish over 500, which doesn't really seem that bold at this point in time. I'm still not sold on them as like a middle of the pack playoff team. And I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if they didn't make the playoffs altogether just because there are so many good teams in the West. And it's like the Rockets are 14th in the West right now. It's, yeah, the Mavs are good again. It's kind the of Timberwolves insane. are the hottest team in the league since trading Jimmy Butler and their yeah. defense is incredible. Like so, the Pelicans. Um, I, I, you know, I would expect the Grizzlies to remain feisty and competitive and, and remain kind of around or above 500. But I think there are some red flags there, which I'll let the bad cop uh, take care of later on but uh what they're doing well i think like they're just such a smart defensive team 
And this, like they're another team who just kind of overloads the strong side of the floor, and they're able to get away with it because they recover so well. Um, they defend on a string, and they turn you over a ton. And I think they're first in the league in forcing turnovers, and that is really what keeps their offense afloat. Because in the half court, they don't have a lot. They're over-dependent on Conley and Gasol, obviously, and they're easy to scheme for in the half court. But they've managed to stay afloat just by uh, generating a ton of turnovers and running the other way and, and scoring in transition. So um, if they can keep that up, then I think they can keep winning games. And I, I just it, like that they're back to being kind of like a pain-in-the-ass team that you really have to slog through. It's going to make you work for it offensively. And how good has Jaron Jackson been? I mean, like, this guy for a rookie yeah. is so advanced defensively. Yeah. And the fact that he can also space the floor on offense is really nice. Um, He's the second youngest player in the league this season. Behind Lakers' second-round pick, Isaac Bonga. Wow. Yeah. Who has not taken the floor. So, Jaron Jackson is the youngest. <laughs> yeah, player. I just think he's already really, really refined and is already a super positive contributor for, for them uh, in his first year in the league. So... Um, and they just have a, like a lot of long-armed wing defenders that make it really tough to get anything in the lane. You know, they close off passing lanes, they close mm-hmm. off driving lanes, and um, so yeah, they, I, I expect them to remain a really good defensive team. The offense is what would concern me, and I think that would be the reason why they ultimately might not end up being a, a solid playoff team. Bad cop. I feel like a method actor, just having to get into character. <laughs> uh, it's taking a lot out of me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, someone noted it here in our podcast notes, but their offense is way too dependent on their top two guys in Conley and Gasol, and especially when they're that reliant on two aging guys yep. who I don't know how much longer they're going to stay this healthy. Like, we talked, they're not Gallo level, don't get me wrong, but, like, they're not playing 82 games either. And when one of those guys sits, it could get dicey. Jaron Jackson's been great, but he's also not ready to like, yeah. you know, shoulder an offensive load with one of those. If one of those guys goes down, and if this was the East, they'd be fine. But it's the West, and like, you guys seen the West playoff race? A couple days ago, there was four teams tied for eighth. I'm not sure what it is now, but a couple days ago, there was one game separating seventh from fourteenth. So I just don't think the Grizzlies have the depth and the offensive talent to survive those guys missing even a few games, which I think they will. So, yeah, as good of a story as they've been and as solid and, like, workmanlike as they've been, as encouraging as Jaron Jackson Jr. has been, I just don't think they have the horses to hang around what's going to be, like, a war of attrition in the West. Yeah, this team also relies on a shocking amount on Shelvin Mack, which, like, <laughs> come on, man. That, that's, that's not going to work. Exactly, that's not exactly going to work long-term. Right? I still can't believe the Magic let him go after he led that team in assists <laughs> last year. With 3.9, they even made a whole graphic and everything. There's no loyalty in this game, man. None, no loyalty. He Was was he on that whiteboard of theirs? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a quick break right here, and then on the other side, we will do Make or Miss and take an early look at the award races. Hey, listeners. A friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network. For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to the second portion of Pound the Rock. Still here with Cash and Wolfon. We're going to wrap up the show by doing Make Her Miss. As usual, I'm going to read out a statement, and then, you know, they'll either agree or they'll disagree. If you agree, it's a make. If you disagree, it's a miss. It's really intuitive. Didn't need to explain it every single time I do this podcast. All right, let's start here. All right, Giannis Antetokounmpo is the MVP of the season. Make. Um, and I think he's, like, pulling away, too. It looked like it's going to be, like, 
it could still be a really great race, but to me, he's starting to pull away. He's averaging 27 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal and a half, a block and a half on 58% shooting. <laughs> Insane for a team that's on yep. pace to win like 55 games. Also, I have I do it every year, but I have like a little passion project that I do as, as the season goes on. And um, between watching as much as I can and like box scores and stuff, I try to essentially note the guy who was the best player on the floor in every game played in an NBA season. Mm-hmm. Not just best player for his team, best player on the floor. Okay. So far this season, Giannis has been the best player on the floor, according to me, 14 times. No one else has even been more than 11, and that's LeBron. So it's just, he's he's the best player on the floor more often than not, and his team's doing crazy well, and he's doing crazy well, and he's the MVP. Yeah, I agree. It's a make for me as well. Um, just the impact that he's had at both ends of the floor, um, the, you know, the way that that uh, Bucks system is basically revolving around him now and he has totally been up to the task uh, he's distributing he's scoring inside and I just think it's crazy that we have what I think is like a runaway MVP favorite so far who's shooting 11% from three point range Yeah, on a high volume of attempts too right it's not like he's one for 11 or whatever he's like five for 60 uh, it's crazy and I think it's weird because early in his career, like he's never been a good three-point shooter, but he's had seasons where he's been okay, right? Where he shot at least in like the high 20% or the low 30%. So I do expect him to start hitting some threes at some point in time. I think the fact that he's still taking them is a good sign. I don't think he'll shoot 11% from distance for the season. And I think the crazy thing to me is like he ha- I don't think he- it's like fully clicked for him yet. Yeah, he's- he could get better. He's been really good. And, and The turnovers have been a bit high for him. Yeah. His usage rate is off the charts, I think, wow. you know, in large part because of those turnovers. But the fact that he has been as good as he has and it doesn't even really feel to me like he has put it all together just yet is pretty scary. So um, I think he's the, the MVP front runner right now. And I don't necessarily see anybody closing the gap just because I think he still has room to grow. Yeah, I mean, Joel Embiid, I think, gets some consideration here. LeBron, obviously, has been phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, AD. the Warriors guys, KD, I mean, you know, there's lots of candidates. But, I mean, quite honestly, Giannis is the best one so far. Next one, make or miss, Pascal Siakam is the most improved player through the first uh, quarter of the season. I'm going to call this a miss just because I think a lot of the stuff that he's doing is a, stuff that he was already starting to do last year. And I do he, think he, he didn't score like this last. No, year. he's refined his game for sure. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is the product of opportunity as well, and playing with the starters more, um, and you know, kind of first of all, being a bench guy and getting fewer minutes last season limited what he was capable of doing. But also, he wasn't really playing on a spaced floor with that bench unit last year. Yeah, uh, and he didn't really have anybody to take some defensive pressure uh, away from him. Like he was, uh, you know, basically being schemed for by opposing benches. And now it's like. An opposing team can't really send their best guy at him because you have Kawhi Leonard on the floor, you have Kyle Lowry on the floor, and I think that's really allowed him the space to operate, and he's been a great one-on-one scorer as a result. Um, But the stuff like, you know, pushing the pace in transition, distributing, that spin move that has been so effective at at scoring in the rim. The spicy spin. I think that's the name for it. Yeah, He does love calling himself spicy. Yeah, so don't get me wrong. He's improved a lot. He's got, I think, a 70% true shooting mark right now. Uh, But... I would say that De'Aaron Fox is my most improved player okay. so far because he, to me, looked pretty out of his depth for yeah. a lot of last season. And there was only like a hazy outline uh, of even an average starting point guard there. And I just think he's taken a leap in every aspect of the game. Yeah. And he is by far the biggest reason that the Kings have been the surprising team that they have been. 
He is shooting the ball well. He's been incredible in transition. And I think he's been uh, like showing off some great passing chops too and yeah. getting other people involved. And I think he's been a big reason that uh, some of the other guys on that team have taken big steps forward. Like He's been a big part, I think, of Buddy Heald's growth. Heald's done a really good job of moving without the ball, and Fox has done a great job of finding him. Fox's driving kick stuff and like driving dump stuff has been really good when he's just able to kind of penetrate and find a guy under the basket. Like uh, the fact that he's able to play so fast but also play so under control has been yeah. really impressive to me. And uh, he to me has made the biggest year over year leap. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely disagree with that and say Pascal as great as Fox has been. I think Pascal's made the biggest year to year leap. Um, you look at Siakam. This is a guy that spent his first two seasons, you know, showing some flashes, but. He spent his first two seasons playing about 18 minutes a game, shooting 21% from three, and not really, like, he was clearly an unfinished product. Now he's logging about 30 minutes a game. He's literally leading the NBA in efficiency in terms of scoring. He's shooting almost 37% from three. He's guarding all five positions when asked for it, and he's doing this as the third best player on a team that's on pace to win 68 games. He's the most improved player. Yeah, and you got to really look at it, man. The man's already had seven 20 point games already this season after coming to the year i don't think with any so i mean i i'm surprised none of you guys won with sabonis sabonis has been incredible I, I to be honest i will give i will i would give it to sabonis but. a lot of candidates for this award i think yeah for sure for sure uh next one make or miss marcus all is the defensive player of the year thus far i'm gonna go with a make on this i think um he's the anchor of the number five defense he's like honestly reborn on the defensive end he mm-hmm. really mailed it in last year and it's kind of puzzling because oh, yeah, yeah. he was i mean obviously the grizzlies stunk once once conley went out and they were terrible but like the level to which he mailed it in was weird when then you see this season it's like oh wait he still has this in him like he could still be the most dominant defensive player most nights um like some of the teams that are above memphis defensively i don't necessarily fit like boston for example horford's been good but i don't think horford's been like defensive player of the year candidate i just think if you look at those like top few teams in defensive rating um gasol kind of stands out as the guy who's like anchored more than any of the others he's also i think not that you have to put too much stock into these like crazy all-encompassing defensive metrics but like he leads the league in defensive rpm i believe he leads the league in defensive win shares like there's the eyeball test and the advanced numbers game yeah. both kind of lean this way. For sure. Yeah, this is another one to me where there's just so many candidates for this award. And I don't have a strong case to not say that Gasol would be the front runner at this point in time. Mm-hmm. But I am going to call it a miss just because from watching him, I, you know, this is purely the eye test. But he hasn't looked that good to me like he's definitely looked better and he's obviously one of the smartest defensive players in the league yeah but i still don't get the sense that he's like moving particularly well uh his uh opponent defensive like his opponent field goal percentage at the rim has been really bad i think opponents are shooting like 65 percent at the rim against him so as good as the grizzlies defense has been and i do think that he has been the most important part of their defense being as good as it's been i think it's more uh kind of a collective thing than it is an individual one okay um and I would lean more toward, like, I think Giannis, honestly, has been ridiculous defensively, and that Bucks defense has been, I think, a top-two unit. Um, Anthony Davis has been incredible, even though the Pelicans' defense as a whole has been not great. Uh, I certainly don't think you can put that on him. He's been awesome. Uh, Paul George, who I mentioned before, has been really, really good. Uh, I think any one of those guys I would, I would put ahead of Gasol in this race, but it's very close, and uh, I don't really have a strong case to not give it to Gasol either. Low-key Robert Covington? Yeah. Has been incredible, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, ever since he got to Minnesota, they're, like, the number one team in defense, like, mm-hmm. across the board. Great in the paint. 
Great in forcing turnovers, getting deflections. Um, he leads the league in steals over that time as well. I mean, yeah. his or, hands are amazing. I, I actually I don't think I really realized or appreciated that until he went to the Wolves and I started watching them, kind of trying to figure out how they have had this miraculous defensive turnaround. His hands are Kawhi like with how how quick they are and how mm-hmm. like incredible he is at basically swiping at the ball and not fouling, but just being able to jar it loose like uh, and and dig in on those drives from the wing like. Yeah, he's um, amazing and also, like, should definitely be in consideration. Yeah. Um, next one, make or miss, Doc Rivers is the coach of the year thus far. Um, I'm going to go miss. I'm going to go Mike Budenholzer. Okay. I think Doc Rivers has been really good, and, and I just – it's one thing to, like, get a group of really good players to try hard and mm-hmm. to win a lot of games. It's another thing – to take a good team with this like transcendent talent and elevate them to what they could be and what no one else could, although your benchmark was Jason Kidd. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Budenholzer because I think it's harder okay. to take like a 45-win team and make them a 55-win team than it is to take just a cast of really good players and make them whatever the Clippers are going to be this year. I'm going to go with a make. Uh, I do think the Doc has been the coach of the year so far. Bud, obviously a close second, and I think probably the only guy who I would even put in uh, close range, but like, I think that a lot of the stuff that Bud has done, as much as he deserves credit for it, it's kind of just intuitive stuff that I think looks better be because the previous regime was so sort of tuned out to uh, like I think what they needed to do you in order share to share coach of the year with Jason Kidd. <laughs> but honestly, it's like you know uh, when Steve Nash won the MVP and he called all his teammates up there to celebrate with them. When Bud wins Coach of the Year, you can call up Jason Kidd. Um, but I, I I don't think that should take away from the job that he has done because he has still figured out how to uh, make all the pieces fit, and I think he has done a wonderful job of coaching them up and. Deserves a lot of credit, but I think there's just a lot of obvious stuff there that he was able to unearth that any sort of uh, half-intelligent coaching staff, I think, would have at least started to do in seasons past, and the difference wouldn't have been so stark if that had been the case. Doc Rivers, on the other hand, I think is just like coaching up a kind of ragtag group of players, uh, uh, the majority of whom are playing at career-best levels. Yeah. Yeah. I think he has them playing hard. Uh, also playing in a tougher conference. Playing in a tougher conference and... Also um, his team beat the Bucks. <laughs> well, there you go. That's the tiebreaker. Yeah. Uh, no, I've, just, I've been really impressed with the job that he's done, both this year and last year, frankly. Uh, and it's been nice to be reminded of what he is capable of doing uh, with a team that doesn't have elite talent on it. And I think people forgot that when he... You know, those Clippers teams with... Blake and CP and DeAndre were kind of disappointing in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I think a, a bit of the shine came off of Doc Rivers, but uh, I think he's still a hell of a coach and has done a really good job so far. Wow, he's having the reverse Brad Stevens career. Um, <laughs> can also, just a little bit of love, Rick Carlisle. Yes. Yeah. The Mavs yes. are a game over 500. Mm-hmm. They're in a playoff spot right now, a quarter of the way through the season. Also, who would have thought about this a quarter of the way through the season? The Mavs, one of the four or five teams in the league, top 10 on both ends. Wow. The Mavs yeah. right now have a top 10 defense. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to last. All <laughs> right. Next one. Make or miss. Julius Randle is the sixth man of the year thus far. Ooh. Uh, He's been I, one of the good ones. Well, there's has. a lot of candidates. I'll season. make my rant easy. He was my pick preseason, so I'm okay. sticking with it. I will say a miss, and this is where I will say that it should be Sabonis. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, Sabonis is a really good candidate as well. Um, he only started one game. It's kind of crazy. I guess it's because Turner's there. 
Yeah, and and those guys, they've been okay playing together this year. Uh, really good defensively, not very good offensively, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Turner's not shooting it well from three. He doesn't have quite as much stretch as you would like. But, uh, so yeah, I, you know, Sabonis ends up basically playing center off of the bench, which I think that should be his position full-time. I think he's better suited to playing the five than he is to playing the four because defensively uh, he's definitely better playing closer to the basket than playing out on the perimeter. And offensively, like, he's just a, a wonderful role man. Um, and I think the biggest reason to me that the Pacers have been able to survive their Oladipo-less minutes this season in a way that they weren't able to last year has been Sabonis. And uh, I, I think it's really close between him and Randall and also Harrell. Those three guys, I think, are easily the top three. Uh, yeah, but I Lou Williams get- as well. He's yeah, always in there. He has, He's he having a good year. He hasn't shot the ball particularly well, though. He closes think, games for them, though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, I, yeah, I would give it his bonus. Uh, I said Randall. So oh, please. okay. All right. Well, I forgot about that then. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap up the pod with uh, executive of the year. I've got uh, Magic Johnson is the executive of the year. I mean, if you sign LeBron, I feel like you should win the executive of the year. No questions asked. All right, well, I don't know what you were smoking when you filled this out, but he is Magic Johnson is definitely not the executive of the year. I've said before, like, I don't think you should get... Okay, you shouldn't not get any credit, but you should not get too much credit if you're a GM and you just sign a guy as a free agent, particularly in this case when I don't think Magic Johnson had much to do with LeBron James signing with the Lakers. What are you Le- talking about? LeBron and Magic met at 12.01 on Man. July 1st, and they sat down for yeah. three hours and decided we need KCP and Rondo. <laughs> LeBron wanted to be in L.A., all the power to him. He wanted to play in purple and gold while doing his Hollywood stuff. All the power to him. Magic Johnson had nothing to do with that. And the things that Magic Johnson could control outside of LeBron James, he did a very poor job at when you look at the way he constructed this team around LeBron James. It is most definitely not uh, Magic Johnson. It's Masai Ujiri so far. The team he's built in Toronto is insane. The versatility they have, the depth they have turning DeMar DeRozan and Yaka Pertle into Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, even if it's just for a year, executive of the year is a yearly award. He has to be the favorite right now, and I will not accept other answers. I will definitely also go with a miss. And I, wow. I think the Lakers had probably the worst possible offseason that a team could have while also signing LeBron James. I don't think they could, I don't think they could have done much worse than they did, frankly. Like, I, I think... All the concerns that we had about them going into the season have been borne out. What are you talking about? They got Tyson Chandler. They mitigated some of it by getting Tyson Chandler, which, sure, I guess, you know, you could make that a a point in Magic's favor. (laughs) I mean, LeBron definitely called James Jones was like, yo, listen, champ, we got to get some center help over here. And Tyson, I think he likes L.A. He's from L.A. Um, it helped. I think yeah, it helped. sure. I think that was a good addition, but not a good enough addition to wipe away uh, the damage that that front office did after they signed LeBron James. And mm-hmm. maybe it won't end up mattering. You know, like they, they basically went into the season with the approach that it wasn't really about this season. Uh, it was about giving the young guys another year to develop, seeing either whether they were going to be valuable trade chips or whether they could be complementary pieces for when the Lakers try and go free agent hunting again in 2019. But... For this season, I don't see how you could give it to Magic Johnson because you add LeBron James and you put a, a, a dysfunctional team around LeBron James. Um, so you I don't have think, Masai as well. No, I I would go with Masai, and I think okay. um, John Horst uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks. Who? John Horst of the Milwaukee Bucks. Listen, listen. John Horst <laughs> of the Mo- what? Listen for signing Ilya Sova from Brook Lopez and Bud. I'm and hiring Bud. Hiring Bud was good, but Bud chose to go there, man. Hiring Brooke Lopez, 
<laughs> hiring Brooke Lopez. Yeah, he's a hired gun. He's a hired gunner. I mean, yeah. all these players are hired, yes. No, I think I, I would I would give it to Masai, but I do think yeah, that okay. John Horace did a really good job. What about Elton putting, Brand? Putting a functional roster around Giannis and okay. um, Elton Brand, sure. I mean... He got, I, he got Butler. But that wasn't like... Was that a home run trade? I mean, I think it was a, a good trade that It looks great for their psyche right now, because if they had gone, continued to do what they did, they'd probably be about 500 right now without Butler. Even though there's numbers with Butler are not great, he has hit those two game winners and given them a bit of a. I just think if swag. you're comparing superstar trades, yeah, the Raptors did way better than the Sixers did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay, I'm look. I'm only playing devil's advocate here, yeah. but I also think if you sign LeBron, that should just be the executive of the year. Period. No, and that's I, the most impactful move. Here's another thing I'll say, and I said this before the season started because I think we all picked Masai Ujiri to win this award we when we did our predictions, but I think a lot of the time. This is kind of like a multi-year award. And for Ujiri, the way that he has built up this Raptors team from basically nothing. A team that has like grown into one no, of no, the no. absolute... Less than nothing, man. <laughs> no pick in his first year. Andrea no. Barnani and Rudy Gay were his main players on the books. And then he turned into this. He got Pascal Siakam with the 27th pick. He got... OG and the, Nogan, oh, the by 23rd. the way, he yeah. got Pascal Siakam, the 27th pick. The year... like. Two weeks or whatever removed from losing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Also, um, the num- the one of the prospects I guess put out in the Demar trade or in, in the Kawhi trade was Jakaproto, who he got in exchange for Andrea Bargnani. He got a first round pick for Bargnani to get that move done. Yeah, I mean, he so much had to go right for him to be able to swing a trade like that in the first place, and the fact that that trade already looks like a home run, uh, and the fact that. It's working out as well as it is because he has populated the rest of the roster with young guys who are developing into elite role players, frankly. Uh, I think he just deserves a ton of credit for taking that team from where it was to where it is now, and uh, he should be rewarded. Magic Johnson wishes that discount Pascal Siakam, Brandon Ingram was Pascal Siakam. (laughs) Yeah, Brandon Ingram is definitely hit or miss. Um, A lot of Raptors talk tonight uh, on the podcast. Obviously, you know, it is what it is. The Raptors are the best team in the league. Uh, Unfortunately, we couldn't get to Joakim Noah signing a one-year deal with the Grizzlies, guys. Or Dwight Howard uh, now being out apparently two to three months. He's having back surgery. Again? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, look, he hasn't really played for the Wizards this year, and he probably won't play for the Wizards again. We also didn't do Rookie of the Year, but I guess we're all just assuming. Oh, yeah, I completely forgot that. It's it's clearly Doncic, Yeah, I was going to say, I thought I'd forgotten one on this list. Luka. It's yeah. Luca, guys. It's Luca. It's not close, man. Did you see what Luca did against the Rockets? Yeah, nasty, James Harden, nasty yeah. jumpers, nonstop, and they smoked the. Uh, he's nineteen. Yeah, he's nineteen years old. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm sure Bagley's going to pan out, though. Hey, he had an eighteen and ten last night. Falskus. <laughs> yeah, um, he might get uh, Dave Yeager fired. Also, eighteen and ten <laughs> and a loss, but whatever, it's fine. What the Kings are the Kings. Um, I think that does it for the podcast. Thank you to both Cash and Wolfon uh, for listening, and we're signing out. Pound the Rock. 